0: We are going to get so many emails from the Slam Poetry people. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. My name is Brian Perlman uh, and this is episode 168. I am joined as always with Jess Dunks.
1: Hey, this is Jess.
0: And we have a very special, uh, we have, uh, back from the Judge of the Week episode, two episodes ago, episode 166, we have uh, Jacob Milicic.
2: Hello, you got it right.
0: Yes, so, in in the last time Jacob was on, he was interviewing us for Judge of the Week. This time, we're going to turn the tables, and we're going to... Talk to Jacob about uh, his experiences as uh, head judging a classic for the first time. Uh, so, Jacob, before before we get into that though, um, so I don't think last time we spent a whole lot of time talking about like who you are, where you're from, uh, what your sign is, uh, whether or not you tip fifteen percent, eighteen percent, or twenty percent. Uh, so, can you
2: so, just... so I'm obviously Jacob Malichich. Uh, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. I Ooh, what was that third bit? I'm I'm a Sagittarius, and I usually tip twenty percent at a minimum, uh, yes. and sometimes over that, depending.
0: So so uh so you are? How long have you been a level two?
2: Uh, let's see. I started for level two, it, almost two years ago. Well, actually, a little over two years ago, because it was February of 2015, early in February of
0: 2015. So, so- I actually. You've been you've been working towards uh, becoming. Uh, uh, Jess Jess actually came up with this the idea for this episode. Uh, he said the words, uh, becoming a uh, a head judge for a classic. So can you can you tell us what a classic is
2: to begin with? Sure. So the the classic events are ones that Star City runs on the Sunday of an open weekend. Uh, so the nowadays the Star City Games tour events have uh, an open of a particular format. And then they'll have two classics on the following day, on, on day two, that people can can join in and play if they're not making day two of the Open. They're either uh, the format of the Open. There's always one that's a format of the Open. And there's usually another one. And it's usually one of, of standard or modern, as I recall.
0: All right. Cool. So uh, what? Why? So this was a goal. Uh, how did that goal come about? Like, what, what prompted you to want to do this?
2: It's... very good question. So I was talking with Rob McKenzie actually about ways that I could grow myself that weren't – well, to be perfectly honest, that weren't like just immediately looking at at level three, looking at ways that I can make myself uh, an L2 capable of doing more things, uh, capable of more responsibilities and and growing myself in areas that the judge program values. He was the one who suggested that maybe I should work toward – Throwing my hat into the ring for head judging uh, Star City Games Classic as sort of a, a way to expand my uh, my capacity for for leadership, for for mentoring other judges, and uh, and for logistics.
0: Okay, uh, so so you set this as a as a goal for yourself. Prior to that point, uh, what what type of events had you been doing? Size of events, stuff like that.
2: So prior to Having that conversation and really deciding, yes, this is something. I this is something of a long-term goal, something I want to accomplish within a year or so. Uh, I had only been doing PBTQs, where it was the highest level of event I would ever had judged. Uh, I'd done a lot of floor judging on events like a few 5Ks, and when when 5Ks were more of a thing around my area, as well as uh, doing a few opens, team leading at a few opens, so I sort of baby stepped my way along there. Uh, after setting the goal, I decided, well, hey, there was a states tournament coming up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if I can try head judging states. And then after that was successful, I I talked with people at um, at Nerd Rage Gaming for the SCG Regionals last summer, and said, hey, I'm interested in in seeing if I can head judge your tournament uh ended up getting that gig that was really good so also just found ways to to try to expand the number of players i was covering how many people how many judges i had that i was working with started getting to events where i would have to divide people into multiple teams Where would have to assign leads and, and delegate more responsibilities work with the scorekeeper things like that
1: okay so-, so when you were when you were uh You you just mentioned like talking to Nerd Rage Gaming, and I assume you talked to a TO uh, about states. I don't know who was running that, but that was uh,
2: Misty Mountain actually.
1: So this was not just uh, a a thing where you like jump in. This is also a thing where you're kind of taking advantage of of networking that already existed for you because you'd already worked for these TOs. Right, Uh, right. So you so you you had already had been like, oh, hey, I've, I've proven myself as somebody who can who can work at your events. Can I have this opportunity?
2: Right, correct. So, so in the case of states, it was actually Jordan Baker who was the uh, judge manager for the event in question. And I remember talking. with – I worked with Jordan quite a bit. Uh, I remember talking with him about that. Uh, for Nerd Rage, I'd done several of their. So I had floor judged at a couple of their regionals events uh, prior to this point. Uh, so I had a pretty good relationship already with with Norman Cohen and with uh, Max Kahn, who was trying to figure the staff out for that event. So, yes, you correctly identified that I was able to step my way toward uh, through these opportunities by already having worked for these people and proven that, hey, I'm, I'm somebody who can do a good job.
1: Well, I bring that up because uh, I think there's a, a misconception that it's, uh, you know, a lot of times we get opportunities because of who we know, but I'm kind of pointing out that, that, that what – you did take advantage of from that is because of what you did to get there and know those people, not because, just because you knew them. Right. So like, right. And go on. No, go ahead.
2: It's, it is somewhat fair that who, you know, matters, or at least that's what I found in my experience. But the the fact of the matter is you make those connections by proving yourself uh, on events, or at least that's, that's been my experience is that you, you establish these relationships, people, recognize your name and want to give you these opportunities, not because they know you and they like you, although that's, that's probably part of it, but that, that stems from you having, um, you having done things that they, that they acknowledge, that they respect and that they appreciate it.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: I, th- I think I've, we, we found that you like a, you like a person as a judge because they are a good judge. You might like, you might like a judge a, as a person because they're a cool person, but when it when it comes right down to it, uh, when you're when you're deciding staffing and stuff like that, if you like them as a judge, uh, that that matters a lot more than if you like them as a person.
2: Right, right. I think that's a really good distinction to make. Right. Ho- hopefully, ideally, they like you as both. Right. So,
0: so let me ask. So, you said you you were you were head judging. What was it? It was regionals and. Uh, right. Uh, so pri- so you were been doing PPTQs, which were twenty five ish players or more. Well,
2: interestingly, the first PPTQ I had judged was sixty four players. Wow, that's huge. That is big. yeah, but it's it's big for our area. It was the first PPTQ for for a TO. Uh, their first time doing it. It was modern in the Madison area, so that tends to draw higher. And uh, I had also. Grabbed one of the, my uh, one of the L1s in the area that I knew was interested in me coming L2 to work with me, and thank goodness I did because I don't think for my first PPTQ, 64 players would have been something I wanted to do on my own. Most of these other PPTQs are were more like the 30ish players range.
0: So, so to give to give people an idea of you know, like how big a, a staff unit it's approximately, I mean, I, w- I would say at least at, at the below 200 level, you kind of want one floor judge for every 33 players, like three per hundred, right?
2: Right, and 30, 33 is a very good number as well because that's when you jump around. Right, So you're adding another hour to your day, and that's a lot more taxing than a lot of people might right. think. And then the same holds uh,
1: would, at 65,
0: you know.
2: Get and I would
1: uh, point out for anybody that wants to use those as some kind of hard guideline – that for sealed events, that number usually goes up by one yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I've got I've got like a little matrix that I that I you know, I was like, this is what I recommend, and this is when the head judge stops being a floor judge, and this is when you need a dedicated scorekeeper, you know, those kind of things, and then oh it's sealed? Another dude. <laughs> mm. oh, oh, oh,
2: you've got a spillover in another room? Uh you need another judge. <laughs> right. So, so So the but the point is we're we're not talking about events where You've got multiple judges that you're working with. It's it, like myself and one other person was the most that a PPTQ would ever offer me. So, Unlike the old style PTQs, which could give you you know a sizable group of people to work with.
1: Okay. And so what you're so so you're saying that you kind of uh, you went you wanted to go to a Star City Classic because that was really that opportunity, that next thing.
2: Or well, what? it seemed well. I don't think so because there are other events that do that. The, the appeal of the classic is that it's, it's a more high profile event. There's, there's more at stake than some of these other events that, that I've done. There are different challenges at a Star City uh, classic versus even regionals and states. You've got other, and we're going to talk about this a bit later, but you've got two other events, competitive level events going on alongside yours. You've got two other judge staff, staff, staffs, staffs, to interact with. I think it's staves. staves.
0: staves. Oh, yeah, J- judge staves. Jinx. So, so okay. So you decided that you wanted to do this when you thought you were ready. How how do you go about applying for a classic? So there was a
2: Google form to fill out. Uh, I I remembered seeing it. Just I think I saw it on Facebook, uh, which was hey, we're looking for people who are interested. In head uh, judging a Star City games classic, fill this thing out if you're interested. Uh, that actually involved submitting a fair amount of information. Uh, it, you had to submit, uh, some people that you would, uh, would recommend you. So you know, references, uh, there were some questions on it. So there was this was this is kind of cool. I thought that there were some some policy questions. You, they deposited a scenario and then it was a not. You know, multiple choice. It was like short answer, right out. Like, How would you handle this? Uh, if I which,
1: remember correctly, they weren't the easiest scenarios.
2: No, no, they were really cool. Uh, in in one of them, uh, I recall it was Ricky at one uh, got talked with me and said, "Hey, I think you were one of the only people who actually brought this point up." And that's I'm sorry, I'm being very vague because I don't actually remember anymore what it was about. But I do remember reading through the scenarios and thinking to myself, "Huh." So, and then writing a bunch, because that's what I do. And then after filling that form out... Uh, so uh, when did they do so, the blood test? <laughs> uh, the, there was no blood test. Oh. Uh, did not did not have to get tested for any illicit substances. They, they, they um, loosened standards. Right. So <laughs> uh, I think the one other piece of, of information that was asked about on the form was, and this is actually reasonably relevant, was how far you were willing to travel in order to get to one of these classics to head judge in order for for you to achieve one of these opportunities and i say i think that's important because uh i feel you want to make sure you're being honest there uh it's i mean you want to make sure that because if if you're like well i want to do this but i really can't afford to to fly to the other end of the country to do it i just don't think i can make the math work then say that right don't uh I basically said, yeah, I I'm willing to drive, but I don't think I can make flying work. Um, and I think that's good because if you end up committing to something that you're not actually comfortable with, that's not going to be a good experience for you. That's not going to be a good experience for Star City. Right. Everyone loses. Right.
0: And they give you they give you an offer, and you
2: got to be like, ah, uh, well, uh, yes. Yeah, it turns far. out, I, yeah, I, I I said I was willing, but I wasn't really. That's. Probably not going to be good for your long-term relationship. When
0: I said I had the eye of the tiger. I
2: really don't. <laughs> I really meant I had a tiger's eye. It's just kind of gemstone. It's, it's a, I, I understand.
0: The I have a jar of eyeballs. The card is what I really meant. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's altered to have a tiger. It's it's oh, altered. Iconic, that's
0: that's right? that's what I. So okay. So you you apply. They review your results. They contact you and say, "Hey, we want you for event X," and you say you know, hell yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so what, what transpires after, after that point, you know, cause obviously I'm, I'm thinking like a normal, normal event, like a regionals or something like that. You're like, okay, I'm head judge. I'll put something up on judge apps, you know, like three other people apply. I'll, you know, or, or maybe five people apply. I'll take three of them and there's my staff and go. But what's, right. what's so- different here?
2: Oh, there's actually quite a bit different. So first off, this is the first event I'd ever done that had a contract associated with it. So you get you get sent a piece of paperwork where you can sign away your, well, you're you're not signing away anything, but but you're agreeing to basically fulfill the role of of head judge for the event and everything that entails. They also send you a nice little primer document for everything that they want to make sure that that you know to do for the event, which is very handy because there's some really good detail in there, but it's not huge. It's only a couple of pages. Uh, you are put on the event on Judge Apps. You get to see incoming applications come in. That's not dissimilar from when you are made head judge for some of these other events. You often will be on the staff earlier because you want to be able to, to talk about some of the applications that come in. You get that same power here. You get the ability to, and, and you're encouraged to say, hey, I recognize this person. I've worked with this person. Here's some reasons to take them on, or sometimes uh, here's some reasons not to. Here's I don't think they're ready for this. So, uh, uh, the classic judges were not actually required to submit that feedback, but we were encouraged to do so. That's and on cool. a couple of candidates, I did.
0: So, so this this primer, this join back this this primer doc. Um, sure. That that kind of contains things like what are what are the expectations for top eight, and what are the expectations for deck checks right. and stuff like that.
2: Okay. Right. So. Right. So the the primer doc is uh, basically going through. Here's all of the things we want to make sure as head judge you are you know you are responsible for, uh, including you know figuring out your leads, figuring out your people, things like that.
0: All right. Cool. So. So at that point, you provide your feedback. Uh, Star City makes the staff selections, and then uh,
2: you get to you get to make your team, right? Right. So the way it worked for me, and I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna <clears throat> apply a caveat here that I'm not sure this is how it works for all of them. But when I got, so I got sent a, a, a share to a Google sheet that had all of the event staff on it and already had resources allocated for, uh, well, obviously, everyone was either open or sides for day one, and then day two had already allocated, here's the people for the standard classic, here's the people for the modern classic, here are people for sides, here's people for day two of the open, all kind of spelled out. Now, we could juggle around from there, but there was already sort of a structure. There was already, we're looking at needing this many people for, my classic and this many people for the modern classic, which they expected to be bigger. So it had more this many people for day two of the open. Okay. This many they wanted on sides. And we could juggle around from within there. Uh, and by we, I meant the other two head judges. So I, I worked with, with Rob McKenzie and Chase Culpin and we chatted pretty frequently about, uh, where we wanted people. I think. Ultimately, my staff was very close to what Star City had already, or what had already been in that Google Doc. But I did make a trade with Rob uh, of one resource for another resource. It was kind of an even swap. Uh, so you get that. You get to sort of figure out your teams. After you have that, then you also need to talk to your people. So usually the head, the open head judge will first. Make their their spiel on judge apps like you would do for for another event. Your your head judging, saying who's what are the roles and responsibility. Who's um, leading what teams, before, before things we get of into, that nature. Before we get into the communicating oh, with sorry, the yeah. staff, when you're actually creating
0: your staff, uh, and you're saying okay, this person is going to be deck checks, and this person is going to be paper. Like what what sort of logic or thought process do you go through when when deciding? Say you had what five people. Five, yeah, four- I had
2: five people that were not me
0: okay yes. so so just like just a a who gets allocated to what can you can you walk us through walk us through your thought process there
2: right so so the way i dealt with it was i i wanted to have leads on the reason why i wanted to have leads was i wanted to uh, give people the opportunity to team lead at, at an event like this uh and i felt like with five people you can't really do more than two teams nor does it nor is it really necessary uh checks is pretty much a given two resources uh you can run checks with one but i don't like it um and i actually did something that i, I hadn't seen done before where i made checks and end of round be a team uh the thought process is that the beginning of the the beginning of the round is when checks happen and the end of the round checks aren't happening and so that team can can actually handle the end of round responsibilities as well and that reduced the burden on the other three who were going to be on a team doing a bunch of other things. You've got pairings, you've got slips, you've got floor coverage, you've got the clock. One, my I'm blanking. I think that's it. Okay. So my, my thought process on that was uh, to... Break that up just like that because, again, there's there's far more responsibilities and far more things to do, and, and a lot of them involve actual physical objects that need to be moved around for, for pairings, for slips, on the other team. So if I say, okay, I want two people on checks, the other three are going to be on the other team. And that's, that's basically as far as I went with it. Having a bigger staff, I might have gotten a little fancier about it, but with what I had... I felt like making one break between the the two sets of people on my team made the most sense.
0: Okay, cool. So so once you you go going, going back then to communicating with the staff. So once you've kind of laid your staff in place. Right. Once uh, once
2: I figured out where I wanted people to be and after Rob had already done his his thing on Judge Apps, I wrote up a my, my own version of that for my classic. Uh, which ran down what the different teams were responsible for and who the leads for the teams were were going to be. Uh, And uh, actually, I I took a page out of Rob's book for this. He and I had talked about this at some length. Uh, He likes being reasonably explicit within that information. So he likes to have – he likes to make sure that if there's anything that needs to be communicated, it's communicated there. Because uh, you, you never really want to assume that people know, know things about their role if you just say, okay, you're on pairings. Well, they might understand that that means they put the, the paper pairings up for each round. They might not understand that that also means that they need to put the seating for the player meeting up when it runs off. But that's also a part of those responsibilities. So made all of that. I actually shared it with Rob to make sure I wasn't saying anything that was silly. Uh, just... A sanity check. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, but wanted to make sure uh, things that I was doing made sense. And then I threw it up there onto the Judge Apps forums for people to peruse. All right. Cool. Beyond that – oh, sorry. So there's, there's a second part. So for the team lead, since I had two people that I was going to have leading teams, I wanted to give them a little bit more information about the kinds of things I was expecting. This is where I also communicated – so I'd gotten contacted by some judges about judges who were going to be on my team, specifically. And for one, I, I asked after uh, one of the judges because I'd known that they hadn't been at a Star City event in a while. So basically, trying to determine what, who are these people, who who are these people that I'm working with for the ones that I'm not familiar with, and what can what can I do to make this event grow them more in so, in some so, way, in some profitable way.
1: So you you mean you solicited this feedback? They didn't just.
2: Well, in one case, I was given it. In the other case, I solicited it explicitly. Oh, okay. Okay. So, 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 so sort of half and half. I was going to get around to soliciting the other one, but then I was just automatically contacted saying, hey, uh, there's this person. You've never worked with them. They're an L1. They're on your team. This is the kind of thing that they're working on. This is what they're struggling with. Can you help them out?
1: Oh, That sounds very proactive of whoever gave you that information so that's awesome.
2: Yes, no I agree Uh, shout out to Matt Sowers who really takes good care of his people Uh, so in in that way once I have that information I can dispense some of that to the team leads and say this person's on your team so in addition to all of your responsibilities in addition to managing this uh, see if you can help this person out in this area and of course I as head judge also did that when I had Uh, When I had time, in fact, one of them, one of the judges in particular came over and talked with me about the very thing that I was going to to help them with. So that was kind of cool that I was already prepared to talk about it. So I wasn't ambushed.
0: It's it's kind of cool when you've got a small team and you can get feedback from other judges as to things specifically to work on them, as as opposed to like maybe on the open you 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 know where you might have a team of like twenty people, uh, it's a lot harder to zero in on on specific areas.
1: So,
2: right. Uh, you you can you can look at the people that are on your your sub team of that larger uh, right. event staff, but it's you're right that you're your target is, is is automatically narrowed for you when your event is smaller. And so you can take advantage of that and really focus in on the people that you're going to be working with and what you can do to make sure they get the most out of your event.
0: So all that, all that's before, before the event. Now right. you've, you've worked your Saturday. Uh, most, most classic judges are, are floor judges or team leads on the day of the open. Day one of the open. Mm-hmm. Uh, so day day two comes f- of the open, and it's it's day of your classic. So, uh, so the best laid plans, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, of mice and men. Right. Every everything tends to go go wrong on on day one, or, or you know, the day of whatever you were hoping to have set up. Plans right. go awry what 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 happened
2: last minute yeah, no plan survives contact with the enemy right that's uh, so, absolutely true 100% true so in this case actually other than uh so so there were, there were two things uh, one was actually a last minute change that had happened uh on saturday so we knew it was coming But one of the judges for the event had to back out at the last minute. It was really unfortunate. Uh, And they were the person who was going to be leading sides on Saturday, uh, which which made it even more unfortunate. Uh, So when we got to the next day, we we were still down this resource that we were expecting to have. Uh, So they didn't come away from my event. So it it didn't really affect what I was doing. Uh, In terms of last-minute changes for my event – that there weren't actually any directly there there was a uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a, a way to phrase this. There was a little bit of an issue getting started uh, only because uh, we so some things had not been properly communicated the urgency of of something had not been properly communicated. That was on me. But that was I appreciate, a less I
1: appreciate how hard you're tiptoeing around throwing somebody under a bus. I, I don't even know who it is, but I <laughs> it, it,
2: it, it's on me. It's on me. Uh, I did not make sure that I, I was not as direct and as urgent as I could have been in my language when I said, "Hey, our seating for the player meeting is coming off the printer. You probably need to get that." That's fair.
1: Yeah,
2: but that's... that was there was that wasn't really anything. That change for my event that that required plans to change, but it is still important to remain adaptable, to right. remain flexible. So even though it didn't really happen for me, I I would like to think I was ready for it if it did.
0: So you also you also had were you the classic that went
2: first or second or starting? I was the classic that went first. I had the honor of being the opening flight of the day. Okay,
1: and what what Brian means by that is that the events are are staggered in their start times. They don't right. all start at the same time. Right, They, they, they start one a half an hour classic. Apart.
2: They, yeah, they start one classic, they start the next classic half an hour after that one, and then they start day two of the open half an hour after the second classic.
0: And and the, one of the cool things about that is you, you aren't battling over the mic. Um, right. The next thing, so you have also something that is potentially different from large events. You have goodies to pass out at Star City yeah. Events?
2: Yeah, so at Star City Events, you've got... Uh, playmat voucher, so everyone needs to get one of those, because everyone who's enrolled in who's in the event uh, can turn that voucher in at the stage for the playmat, and they also hand out their invitational winner tokens. Uh, so, that was something, not a last minute change, but that was something where uh, we had a bunch of the token playmat combos, but they weren't sleeved, so we had to, for the standard, so we had to rush in those into sleeves to get them ready to go. But yeah, you have to you have to make sure that those get handed out. Uh, and it's actually, it's not really that much extra overhead because you want your people out there anyway to be collecting deck lists. So it's just like day one of the open in that you, you send people out. Here's your range of tables. This is what you're responsible for. Here's the goodies. Pass out the goodies. When the head judge says get the deck lists, you collect the deck lists. Please make sure they're in order. And that's it.
1: And did you say, you, you might have told us at the beginning, and I just missed it, but did you say how many people, how many players you had in this event?
2: I did not. Uh, my standard classic had 132 players. That's so a pretty it big was, event. It, it was. Uh, it was actually comparable to the regionals that I run in terms of size, but it's a, it's a different beast because even though the event itself was 132 players, the room had way more pl- people playing Magic than that. Uh, we went from a 900 and change open to To an event with you know, to, to three different events plus sides where a bunch of people were playing. So it, it's different because you're having to juggle between the the other two events often uh, in terms of floor coverage, in terms of of juggling your resources around when, when one event really needs it.
1: I, I found uh, the first time I team-led at a Grand Prix that one of the things that was surprising to me, having head-judged... What at the time I considered to be larger events compared to running the smaller team was that when I needed something done at at another event where I was the head judge and it was the only event happening, I could just turn around and find the nearest judge and be like, hey, I need this thing done. And Mm -hmm. when when there were when there were a bunch of other judges that were not on my team, I can't do that anymore. I've got to keep track of who, who I can actually tap to do a job. Did you find that to be a problem? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, definitely, and, and for a couple of reasons. So, uh, Star City wanted wants you to be visible, but on the floor, and for me, I, I have a particular physical challenge that makes the visibility part dif- difficult. Are you invisible? I'm, I'm short. Oh. So there are times when a bunch of players are standing and I was going through trying to find usually one of my leads because my leads were keeping beads on on the rest of the team. I was keeping beads on them, and that allowed me to to sort of leapfrog to finding people, although sometimes I just found the person I was looking for anyway. Uh, But it was difficult finding the people that were on my event because as soon as a couple of players are standing up, now I have to be walking back and forth trying to find a blue shirt and then match that with a face that that i know is on my event uh so that was that was a little bit more challenging there were definitely times where people walked by and i was like thinking to myself oh great a judge i need one of them and then they were coverage on the open it was like well nope can't use them
1: (laughs) (laughs) this, this dismay of i need somebody to help me will somebody help me uh, actually, that that brings up my next question, which is: uh, Speaking of help, did you need to help the other event
2: much? Yeah. Or? Yeah, actually, and um, this is a uh, glad we're talking about this topic because this is one of, one of the things I wanted to make sure I touched on. Both events, the Open and the the Modern Classic, asked for help from my team at at different points in time. The first request came from the Open. Uh, they had very few people on that day, uh, and then with checks with. With coverage, it meant that their floor coverage was very, very light. I did not have very many people on. Uh, Rob was actually taking a lot of calls himself on his event. He asked, hey, could you have your judges be closer to my event and make sure they know they're supposed to take calls? And I went, okay, I'll go and talk with them about that again because I brought it up during my my team meeting at the start of the day that we've got our event, but there are two other competitive events plus sides here, and if you're near a call on any of those, Go ahead and take it. If you don't see anybody going over that, please go and take it. We don't want people with their hands in the air and with no judges coming to help them.
1: And were those, uh, so, were those events, uh, like, um, were they placed next to yours? So, like, like I mean, physically next to yours? Were they
2: yeah, next- yeah. The, the way it ended up working was that um, the standard classic, so my classic, was placed on the stage side of the room, and coverage was also just like, at, so you take the corner of my event, and that's coverage for the open. So then you jump over my event to the other side of, of the aisle where there's more tables, and that's where day two of the open was. So we were right next to them, and then the modern classic was just you know, jump a, a row of tables past my last table for my standard classic, and that was the starting table for the modern. So they were they were arranged very well for helping people... Having people help cover each event.
1: So they went to to uh, to make that clear, perhaps to somebody who hasn't seen it, you had you had several rows of tables in the convention hall that were your event, and then they left kind of an empty space row, and then the next row was the start of the the following event, and, and they did this for all of the events, or so was it...
2: so it was so in the case of this particular room, there was a, lo- a column of, of rows of tables. Okay. And then there was another column of rows of tables with an so there's an aisle between these two columns. Oh, okay. So my event is if you're if you're picturing this as a grid, uh you put my event in the upper right, uh leave a space below it, still on the right side is the modern, uh, and then to the left of the event across that aisle was the open. Was okay, the day so two of the open.
1: So if you had your judges kind of hang out in that aisle, they'd right. be in a pretty good place to see calls all over the room,
2: right? Uh, Although that means they're they're not as well positioned for watching magic.
1: So it's a really it's really a balancing act,
2: correct? Uh, correct. Okay. So when when Rob asked for help, it was like, okay, we need to do more of that. Be out toward the aisle so that we can cover calls on the open and less uh, in our own aisles, not as much in our own aisles in the rows watching games of magic. Although I wanted some of that as well. Um, later on, so the. I told you this story to tell you this one. Uh, later on, the Modern Classic head judge came up to me. So Chase came up to me and said, hey, my event's actually really behind on checks. Can you spare people? As it turned out, my checks team had been doing a very good job. Uh, we'd, uh, we were going to hit target very easily. And so I could afford to send them off after the beginning of our round, starting at the beginning of, of the Modern round, to help with checks. The reason why I wanted to, to talk about both of these things is that, that second fulfilling that second request affected how many team members I had for fulfilling the first request. Uh, this was something that I missed when I did it, uh, but it is important to remain cognizant of how when you're changing where your resources are and what your resources are doing, how that affects decisions you've already made and how that affects the event as a whole. And when I say the event as a whole, I mean all of the magic that is going on in that room that day. So what I should have done was after saying, yes, checks team, go perform some checks on, on the modern classic is go over to the, the not checks team and say, okay, guys, now I need you to definitely just be in between the, our classic and the open to make sure we can catch calls on both because there's three of us plus me now uh, in this area. And, the other two members of our team are going to be off in the modern area in the class, in the modern classic area. I I keep clarifying because the open and that classic were both modern.
1: Right. That makes sense. Um, So we already mentioned how many players there were in your event
2: and you, how many judges did you say you had?
1: Five.
2: So five judges plus myself.
1: Um, Did you feel that that was an appropriate distribution given that not only did you have to take care of your event, but you also kind of had to help with the other events that were going on.
2: So it's interesting because when you've got the the three events plus sides in the room, you it, it seems to me like you can actually have fewer judges than perhaps you would want on your event because you have the ability to tap from other teams. And then other teams, of course, are going to have the ability to tap from you should they need it. Uh, I don't feel like at any point... I felt that my staff was stretched really thin, except for when I, when I made decisions that would then stretch them that way. So when I said, okay, let's take two of my judges and go over there. Okay, now we're four people, but we're in the later rounds of the Standard Classic. People have, have dropped, so the player size is, is less. Uh, it's It's a concern and it's it's definitely something people need to to be cognizant of but the nice thing about that is that you've got this cushion in the form of the other events running that same day and you've got access to you've got access to bodies you've got access to judges if you need more judges for one of your tasks it
1: sounds a little bit like you were the cushion in this case uh, uh, your team was the cushion
2: for the other it, events it, i possibly uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm, not, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure i would I would necessarily go that far. I did again loan some judges, but at the same time um the the open was was still getting hammered uh the reason why I brought the the story up earlier was that the open was still having hard times with calls because we so okay, yes, we were the cushion uh we could have been a better cushion okay, and so in that way we we were stretched.
0: It it does seem that at at uh, at opens on that on that Sunday there is always one event that kind of pulls from the other two more heavily than uh uh than the others pull
2: on it. Yeah, the, the so. modern classic was very large. Uh, I recall it being over three hundred, but I I don't want to swear to that. Nice. It was it was big. Well, I mean, again, you a you had an over nine hundred player open. And those people, a lot of those people came out to to play Modern. Yeah. Uh, there were also, so that, that Open had a cap, and there were people who had come out, I know a few people who came out who didn't pre-register, wanted to play Modern that weekend, were in Indianapolis for the weekend, so, so they couldn't so play in the Open. Moral so they, of the
0: story, pre-register early.
2: If, if you're interested in playing in one of these events... Uh, yeah, it's probably best to pre-register. You never know how popular your event's going to be, and if you do know how popular event's going to be, great. But it's it's safe to do that so that you make sure you have a slot. You don't want to be finding out halfway on the car ride to the event <laughs> right after that you pay for parking you, that you don't get to play <laughs> in, yeah, in the when you're traveling to, uh, especially if you're in a car with everyone else in your car has pre-registered. That's just a <laughs> that's just a feel bad. So um,
1: during the, the a long day, it's an event mm-hmm. like that. When you're the head judge, how do you keep your team, uh, for lack of a better term, how do you keep them kind of hyped up throughout the day and excited to be there, and, and you know at least keep morale high?
2: Sure. So uh, what I tried to do was I tried to project a lot of energy at all times. I tried to make sure I was talking with um, each of my team members at least once around, just to get just a to touch base just to get an idea of you know how they're doing everything going on what anything special going on do you see anything interesting um there's actually a lot of opportunities to do this over the course of each round um <clears throat> if you think about the fact that uh if you're not tasked with anything you can shadow your judges on calls that's actually really cool to do uh and it it can help you provide them with some feedback judges as it turns out really like getting feedback especially when it's actionable and when it is communicated in in an intelligible fashion and can point to something that they just did so that it's really fresh in their mind uh i did things like get some water for them for at least a couple of rounds i i went grabbed some of the water bottles and made sure they were all hydrating um don't est- don't underestimate the value of high fives. I, people do them all the time on events, but I actually, I think they're really effective. Um, it reminds people that you're excited to be here, that you're happy to be here, that they're excited to be here, they're happy to be here. And in my experience, it, it usually puts a little bit of that extra spring in your step. It is a long day. And toward the end of the day, I was getting quite tired. So one other thing to keep in mind is that your people are your team is more likely to feed off of the signals that you're giving. And so if you're projecting a a certain amount of lethargy, if you're, if you're feeling really worn down, that can actually start trying affecting your whole team. If, if they're seeing that happening, if they're seeing that you're really tired, that you're taking a lot of time off of your feet, that you're constantly, you know, stretching or, or cricking your neck or yawning. So it's, it makes it harder Uh, when you don't have energy to make it look like you do, but it is worth it, I think. Does that answer your question? I
1: I think it does. Yeah, you you definitely want to be as a head judge, I've found that you kind of have to be the hype man a little bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. Even when you don't feel like it. And that's kind of exactly what you said is you have to yeah, you have to be the cheerleader. and uh, If you hate your event,
2: uh, your judges will too. Right. <laughs> right, right. And, If and, you're not having a good time, yeah.
1: And, and I have seen head judges uh, accidentally put their staff into a mood where everybody feels panicked and overworked, mm-hmm. even though we're overstaffed. Right. And uh, you can have the opposite effect where even when you're understaffed and everybody's a little overworked, everybody's high energy and having a good time. Um, because... It all comes down to what you're projecting to your staff, uh, what you're projecting to the judges who are working around you, and this is true also even when you're not the head judge, but as the head judge, everybody's looking to you for that.
2: Right, right, um, and you're in a different color shirt in this case, yeah. so you're really obvious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Judges definitely feed off of each other's energy. So mm-hmm. even even if you're not even if you're the head judge, if you're if you're a floor judge, just being high energy will inspire others to also be higher energy. Whether whether you're the floor judge, team lead, head judge, scorekeeper, prize wall guy, you know anything, just just. If you're just kind of uh, slugging through it, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna drag other people.
2: Right, and the, and that does get harder as the day goes on. It can be a very long day. Uh, by the end of it, and all classic. We didn't cover this earlier when, when we talked about them, but all these classic events, they're competitive rules enforcement level events with with Swiss rounds. So however many people you have in your event, that's going to determine how long uh, the day is for from start to finish for that event, uh, including top eight. There's there's always a playoff.
1: So uh, you were talking about it being competitive REL, which is like PBGQs and other events you've run in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how was it? How is this event distinctly different? We've ca- talked about it a couple of ways before with, with uh, Star City Games having certain expectations uh, that didn't exist before, the communication and other events around you. But in other ways, was there anything that you were like, oh, this
2: is very different, something I've not done before? Well, as a head judge specifically, uh, going up, on the actual stage was new. Uh, I had done that once before at an invitational when I was leading sides because somebody asked me, Hey, can you announce the, the scheduled event you you're just about to fire. Mm-hmm. But in general, like as head judge, you're up there to, to announce every round, to announce every end of round. Uh, and tying into that, there's a microphone in a, in a PA system. And so sometimes you're the person there holding the mic and the one of the side event scorekeepers will say, "Hey, can you announce that this this side event uh, pairings are going up for round N?" And they'll give it to you exactly once, and hopefully you remember what round that was, or otherwise you have to ask them again. That
0: that actually is just speaking into a mic is is a skill that you you, yes. you need to learn. Like if you're if you're making announcements at your PPTQ, you're just gonna you know you're just gonna go up there and you're like shout out pairings Wait, round mm-hmm. two are posted. And then it's, and then that's the end of it. However, when you are the open, you gotta say pairings round two. You gotta give your event, and there's always the the they tell you like or they teach you to do like a summary at the end. You know, mm-hmm. players in this event pairings for round two have been posted. Pairings round, you know, and you yes,
2: s- right, right. Once again, usually what I did was I what does I reiterated exactly what I had just said. I'll reiterated a good example of another point: when you're speaking on a mic, it is very important to enunciate clearly. Uh, because when you're when you're talking at one of your your smaller scale events and you're not using a microphone, you're you're not trying to fill the entire room with audible clear sound from your voice. You can afford to be slightly more mush mouthy, although it still helps there to enunciate. But all the more when you're when you're going through an amplifier, all of your all of your vowel sounds come through just fine. Your consonants can get lost very easily. So it's it, it, if you focus on enunciating clearly, on articulating what you are saying, it will actually also help if you have a problem like I do where you tend to talk really fast, and you don't want that when you're giving announcements ever. So it's sort of a, a nice little crutch you can lean on. Uh, Crutch is probably the wrong word, but it, it's a thing that you can use to your advantage by saying, I know I need to make sure that what I'm saying is is clear, so I'm going to slow myself down and to make sure that I am pronouncing all of my words very clearly and very explicitly. Right. And,
1: and, and, and getting into that habit is also, in my experience, very good. I mm-hmm. also tend to speak a bit rapidly, and so when okay. I'm, when, when, I'm uh, um, <laughs> when I'm giving announcements over a microphone... I try to slow that down, and one of the reasons I do that is because sometimes I will realize that I have either forgotten or don't know some piece of information that I'm about to try and give. Uh, uh, there have been times where I've been like, "You know, and welcome to round whatever you may begin, but I forgot what round it was uh, after I started the sentence. What <laughs> right, that, welcome to round
0: N plus one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it and gives that, me time
1: that, that. to think about it and either reframe the sentence or remember what it was I forgot.
2: Uh, and not to to continue harping on on the mic, but another thing that ties into what you're saying here, Jess, is that it's important to think about what you're going to say before you say it, uh, especially if you're if you're used to doing event uh, announcements at some of these other events. Um, where perhaps there are fewer eyes on you, and perhaps fewer eyes that are you know people who might be sitting there going, well, are we going to give this guy another opportunity or not? You think you're well prepared, you might not be as well prepared as you think. And so no. it's important that before you turn the mic on, what are you going to say? How's that going to flow? Make sure that you're prepared and, and you have the items that you want to say and in what order you want to say them. The less that you have to do it off the cuff, the The less likely you are to trip over your own words,
0: you, you don't want to stutter,
2: broadcasting to a room of nine hundred people.
1: Yeah, yeah it's very not, important.
2: not my favorite thing to do.
1: It's Who's... very important because it's very easy to uh, embarrass yourself, as I right. I have done at events. I, right. uh, uh, as quick a side story, um, uh, I I I know I haven't mentioned it in a while, but I used to work for uh, Channel Fireball. You did, and the the very first, um, uh, the very first event that I did working for channel fireball uh, uh after i became an employee um i my mind was on other things and i was just trying to make sure i did everything right and i wasn't thinking about the words coming out of my mouth and i i opened up by welcoming people to the star city games event
2: Ooh, and, yes uh, <laughs> it was very awkward
1: um and fortunately uh my boss thought i was just trolling him and found it hilarious uh <laughs> But it was actually just because I was I was my my brain was running on autopilot and I just like mm-hmm. I words just started spilling out of my mouth and and yeah you really you really it's easy to embarrass yourself if you're not paying
2: attention right and the last point on the mic it it actually is very important on uh, this is a piece of feedback I got when the mic is hot when the mic is on you want to be saying what you're supposed to say. And then if somebody interrupts you or somebody asks you a question, you want to turn the mic off if you're going to answer that question. <laughs> I got asked a question. I, I got asked a question at the stage by a player, uh, after I had made the first iteration of my announcements, but not the next one. And I forgot to turn the mic off, and I didn't quite hear the question, and so I said, "I'm sorry, what?" And that was all over the all over the audio system in the event. So yeah. that was that was cute. I fun. have
1: found that if I have a microphone in my face and I hold up a finger to wait just one minute, I've never had anybody be like, right. oh, that guy made me wait while he finished his announcement. Oh, jeez. Like,
2: uh, <laughs> what, what a self-important jerk that was. <laughs>
1: right. he, held up, he held up a finger. finger.
0: That guy. Well, that,
1: you depending well, on me... that up by finishing the announcement and going into help with whatever they need. But, like... Mm-hmm. Like I've never had anybody be upset that I finished the sentence I was saying. Yeah, I don't.
0: About. I don't really think. I think if you're in the red shirt and you hold and you just you know hold up the finger or give somebody that well not the finger but hold up a finger. <laughs> I wondered if we were going to be able to skirt right around that issue. Right. I was going to say I've never got anybody. I don't think anyone's ever got upset cause they because they realize that you're doing things now. If you hold up the finger, well, I'm in Florida, so. Yeah.
2: That's, that's, that's a significant diplomacy failure.
0: Well, I don't know. In Florida, it's fine. They'd probably, you'd probably just get the finger back, and that'd be the end of the, you know. It's like, give me a minute. You give them the finger, and then they give you the finger back, and then... I'm kidding. The don't actually
2: it. do like that. A hand, it's like a handshake in Florida? It
0: is. It's it's, it's like a handshake. It's like uh, the, the sign from Big Trouble in Little China. You know, the little hand sign thing. Um, okay. Don't actually do that to players. I'm, <laughs> I'm not 100% serious. I'm probably only like
2: 2%. Okay,
0: so...
1: <laughs> anyway.
2: So, um, other ways it's different from... Because from, you'd asked how it differed from other events that I'd had judged prior. So, there's a whole other element to to SCG events in general in that there are Star City Games staff members there. And they have... So, you've got your judges and you've got your Star City Games staff members. And they have different roles and responsibilities... At local large events, it was usually just I have the team of judges, I have my scorekeeper, and the TO is kind of you know, the TO is there he's kind of doing his thing um, but he's not really uh, controlling any any aspects of the event. Uh, so your scorekeeper is is in the Star City uniform is, and is performing on behalf of them and then they have other responsibilities toward the end of the event uh, they usually want judges to help with teardown and such. The last thing are they want deck lists for the top 16 of your classic, uh, which was something I knew in the back of my mind, but I didn't actually tell my checks team to, to gab those ready. Luckily, it wasn't a big deal. It was very easy to get those lists, but you know, if you want to, if you want to be, uh, prepared, you'll know that when you've cut to, when you, when your standings have been made final, tell your deck checks team, Hey, go ahead and, and grab the top 16 deck lists and, and pass them up so they can type them up for the website.
0: Uh, so, um, so let me ask this, and, uh, so being, being the head judge of a, of a large event, you know, neat things, you get, you get exposed to a, uh, a slew of neat things at the event, maybe some appeals, maybe cool calls, maybe just things that make you go, huh, never, never had that happen before, anything cool happen to you?
2: Well, so this was there was something very strange that happened to my event. I, I took zero appeals and that wasn't because they weren't able, able to find me is because there were actually no appeals on calls in my entire event. Uh, and that is not something that had happened at other, at, at smaller events or different events that I had had judged. So that was something at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sitting there watching top eight and I'm thinking to myself, I didn't take an appeal once. What happened? Uh, there was one call, I walked over because one of my judges was, was sitting down at at a match, and it was 35 minutes left in the round. I'm like, why, why is my judge sitting down? I went over to figure out what was going on. And my judge was, was confused about what to do. A player didn't shuffle their library after their opponent had finished resolving a lost legacy, and, and they'd drawn their card for the turn, and then the player went, wait a minute. Did you shuffle my library? And the lost legacy player went, I didn't shuffle it. Did you shuffle it? No, I didn't shuffle it. Judge, what do? Um, and this was, this was only interesting to me because it had been a very long time since I'd had a case of insufficient shuffling, long enough that I am embarrassed to say I actually forgot the infraction existed, uh, that, that's really, really not something I'm proud of, but I'm sitting there going, yeah, what do we do here? Uh, (laughs) thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, uh, I, uh, Rob had my back, um, Went over and, and talk with him about it, and he went so insufficient shuffling, right? And I went, oh yeah, of course, easy. Uh, but that was so every other time that infraction had come up in my experience. It was you know one time it was a player had shuffled and their card their card faces were facing them, so they they had done a bunch of of, of riffle shuffles uh, with the faces facing down, so you'd see the back. Of their sleeves. And then they did their last one with everything facing up and Aww. then presented to to their opponent knowing, uh, no. Aww. You could conceivably be, uh, know the position of one or more cards in your library right now, and that's not okay. So in this situation, do you think we had,
1: uh, gone far enough that the, uh, the the lost legacy player should get a failure to maintain the game state warning, or do you think that is ever the case?
2: So, it's a funny question because the it's not necessarily the the lost legacy. I mean, okay, the lost legacy player should be no, not game rules violation change.
1: warning. I guess technically would be correct. Right. Not not failure to maintain, but sorry, continue.
2: Right, right. So technically speaking, they should be involved in the shuffling process, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't actually. Uh, the the player whose deck it is is the one who's supposed to shuffle it, right? So they're they're the one who didn't shuffle. Uh, it's an interesting question because. Institution Shuffling is a tournament error? Right. Exactly. That's what makes this interesting, yes. Right. So, yeah, and and Failure to Maintain actually explicitly says, if I recall correctly, that a player has to commit a gameplay error, and then Mm -hmm. things happen. And because Institution Shuffling is a tournament error, I don't think Failure to Maintain qualifies. Right, but that's that's, that's weird. (laughs) Well, so...
1: the the interesting thing here is that failure to maintain might not even be correct because the instruction to shuffle was on a, controlled by, an, or on an effect controlled by the
2: opponent. Sure. So it um, could be it could be a GRV for them, right? Because the <coughs> the effect that said this player needs to shuffle their library uh, was controlled by the other player, right. but it's, it wouldn't and, be a double GRV because the we have a more specific infraction for what that player didn't do. That is a very which happens be a error,
1: which is very yes. interesting.
2: Yeah, no, that's a very good point, and uh, to be honest, I did not consider it until you brought it up just now. Huh.
1: Oh, I, I, mean, I, I know I did It didn't. sounded like you considered it. That was a well-thought-out answer. <laughs>
2: Thank you. <laughs> well-thought-out as I stumbled over my words while while my train of thought caught up with me, but thanks. Yeah, when you, when you started
1: speaking, it. I was like, oh, yeah, he's already thought about this. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that That's the faking it part, right, of faking it until you make it? <laughs>
1: It, that
2: doesn't stop. Oh, uh, <laughs> <a> blast! <laughs> but no, I—that's—that's an that's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that more because I'm—I know I didn't issue it. I know all I issued ultimately was the insufficient shuffling warning. And uh, to
1: be clear, I'm proposing that as kind of a thought experiment. I don't have an official
2: yes. answer of some right. kind. And right, right, for our right. listeners,
1: I'm just saying, like, the, I'm not saying do it X way. I'm saying, huh, here's an interesting thing to think about uh, and that and I'm going to
2: continue to think about. And it's even more interesting because it was the player who resolved the lost legacy that is more likely to know the position of cards in the other player's library. So right. they actually could gain an advantage by just not, you know, saying, okay, you shuffle that now if if the if their opponent just doesn't shuffle.
1: Right, exactly. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to discuss? I, I think we're out of question, so if there was anything else you wanted to discuss uh, I, or anything interesting that you had that you wanted to bring up. I, I gave uh, my
2: very first ever unsporting conduct minor penalty, uh, for which the player thanked me, so that was fun. Nice. Um, yeah, so a player comes up to me... Uh, round one of my event saying I just finished my game with my opponent and my opponent was clearly very upset and they were packing their things up and they uh, made a a really quick gesture with their hands and it knocked their library and that caused cards from our library to shoot over to the table and and connect with me and I went wait 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 stop so where, where was this and do you remember your opponent's name uh and so, at the time, I'm like, okay, is this their interpretation of what happened? Is is this what actually happened? Or did somebody, like, actually throw their cards at, at another player because they were upset with them? Uh, what was funny is that the beginning of the... So, that round, that match was concluded. I found him at the beginning of the second round, and his his opponent hadn't shown up yet. So, he was... You know, the, there was a tardiness that was potentially going to be applied at his match. And I said, hey, can I talk with you for a second? And the player goes... Yep, I know what this is about. And I went, oh, <laughs> do you? <laughs> Got okay. him. Got him. <laughs> so, so you know, I'm thinking, okay, this conversation is going to go one of two ways. Uh, either, you know, he was frustrated and he's really, he's really ashamed of what he did uh, and didn't actually intend to fling cards across the table at his opponent. Or he did and then go from there. So I, I asked him a bunch of questions uh trying trying to figure out which side of it he seemed to be falling on and for what it's worth he was he was quite contrite uh he said he he knows he's had problems with this in the past um but like he was angry at himself he didn't mean for for his cards to make their way to his opponent he felt really bad about it i believed him uh did so and this brings up something that uh, if you're, if people are interested in, in head judging in SCG Classic, when these situations come up, whenever you've got a situation that is potentially going to involve an investigation or a disqualification, you want to let the stage staff know. Um, you want to let your show lead know. So in this case, my uh, show lead was Ward Warren. Uh, they need to know if they're going to need to, to print out that paperwork. They need to know that if they're going to need to be cognizant of uh, what the different things that need to happen. When you're doing something like potentially issuing a disqualification. So keeping them apprised of a situation like that as soon as you are made aware of it is very important. Uh, in this case, talked it over with the player, came back, talked with Ward again, said, I'm leaning USC minor on this. Uh, it's definitely behavior we don't want, but there was nothing malicious here and there was no intent to, to move physical objects. So physical objects got moved. Uh, and that was, it, it's, it seemed like an accident. i talk with his opponent again. He said, yeah, it seemed like an accident to me. So I ended up issuing USC minor. And when I did that, I said, you'll be getting a warning for this. He's like, yes, I know. Thank you. This is the kind of thing that I need to make me stop doing these things and and be a better person. So I thought that was really cool.
0: I guess that that covers, uh, is there anything specifically like the wrapping up of the event, the end of the event, or was it just, you know, red shirt in the laundry bag, peace (laughs) out,
2: uh, so I went and talked with uh, Star City Games staff for feedback on how I did. I asked some some questions about uh, things that I felt could, didn't go as well as they could have, um, and got some got some good feedback on that. Uh, got some feedback on my my team lead selections. Got some feedback on uh, how the team responsibilities were both communicated to the teams and how they were distributed, uh, and that. I think also was was just a good idea and i think it's a good practice to be in is at the end you know it, it was certainly tempting to go thank god that's over take take off the shirt throw it in the bag and be done but you know if, if you're interested in in pursuing these types of opportunities in the future one of the best ways to improve is to talk over how things looked from from an outside perspective or from a perspective of somebody who cares about how well the event ran and get some things that Either that you can work on, or that you know to focus on in the future, because you did them well here.
1: That is absolutely true, and and furthermore, you have to be serious about that question. When you ask somebody for feedback on how you did, you have to be in a mindset where you don't just immediately become defensive about the first critical
2: thing that they <laughs> say. Oh yeah. Uh, that, because, that, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that that's true in general. I think, and and that's a that's a lesson that. Uh, can be applied very broadly just to life in general, but since this is a magic judging podcast, we'll talk about it in the context of judging. Um, that when somebody is giving you critical feedback, when somebody's telling you things that you did wrong, uh, if you react defensively, if, if you react in a way that, that shows you are not open to that, that you are not considering their ideas, it might shut that down in the short term, and that might give you a short-term gain in your head where, like, okay, I didn't have to deal with, with that negativity anymore. But what it also does is it shuts down an avenue for feedback in the future, which means it shuts down an information source that you have for ways that you can improve. And that should always be your goal is is finding ways that you can do better. So anybody who's communicating to those things to you, and sometimes they're not going to do it in – in a way that's that's going to make you happy. Sometimes they'll be, in fact, exceedingly blunt, and not everybody not everybody will communicate those ideas in ways that is clear that they're trying to help you. But and even maybe maybe they're not. Maybe they're just really frustrated with something that you did, and you're giving them an avenue to let them out. But that's also valuable feedback. So you can't. So just that's hate, true. Just you can't just I'm haters going.
0: haters to the left, everybody.
2: Yeah, that doesn't help you. Right. And it doesn't help them. Uh, So basically all it does is let them know that you're not interested in you're not interested in a certain type of feedback that they're going to give. But this is the type of feedback that they felt was valuable or else for you or else they wouldn't have brought it up. They wouldn't have talked about it. Yeah, that's good advice. That's good advice.
1: Definitely.
0: All right. Uh, I think just like uh, we covered the end of the event, uh, this is also uh, the podcast. Uh,
1: Jake, dun, dun, dun. Jacob, Jacob,
0: is, is there anything you want to, you want to plug or talk about, you know, Wait. or do you want to just ball up your, your shirt and turn the laundry bag?
2: Uh, I want to clarify a point. End of the podcast? End of the episode.
0: End Very the, important. End of the episode. If oh, if this
1: was... are just actually
2: like, <laughs> we, we've done, this
1: is pod, this is our 168th podcast. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, to... <laughs> hold
0: on. Hold on now. Cliffhanger? Eh? you don't know tune in next time and find out maybe
2: (laughs) Uh, okay i'm sorry you were you were asking if there was anything yeah
0: yeah if is there any any, uh, we had you on a a month ago and we asked you the same question but you know you can give the same answers you can you can freestyle it
2: well i i would still like to plug judge of the week it's a project that uh, i feel has a lot of value in the program when i
1: said freestyle (laughs) i meant rap
2: i I cannot. I can sing for you. I cannot rap for you.
1: What if you just kind of like sing, but in words? (laughs) I don't.
2: Isn't that singing? You
1: understand what rap is? Isn't that singing?
0: (laughs) Sing with words.
1: No, I mean like, but just like sing, but don't just speak the song, and it's been just
2: talking, you know, rhythmically. (laughs) And there you have it. Can it be an iambic (laughs) pentameter, please? I feel that there is a. I feel that there is a very clear distinction between speaking with rhythm and rapping. One has art and one does not. Are you going to leave weird. that vague? <laughs> <laughs> speaking <laughs> with rhythm is not in and of itself artistic. Oh, anyway, we are going to get so many emails from the slam poetry people. Uh. Oh goodness! <laughs> Didn't even think about that implication. Bring it. Uh, po- poetry is speaking with a little bit more than rhythm, though. I because anyway. Way off topic. So I want to plug judge of the week, uh, as it's a project I feel contributes a lot of value to the, to the program. Um, it's a way for judges to appreciate other judges, um, or in some cases, judges to appreciate podcasts, I guess in just one case, uh, there's also, um, if you're in medicine, uh, recently started up a series of judge classes. If you're in medicine area and you're becoming a judge, uh, go ahead and look for the Madison judge classes, Facebook group. It's completely open and we're always happy to teach people. Uh, we've got multiple different courses, multiple different instructors running those. So really excited about that. Uh, otherwise for right now, Oh, the feedback loop be, be very bad of me if I didn't mention the feedback loop, uh, for which I'm a writer. Um, so that's Ricky Hayashi's blog. And, uh, it's, it's got a lot of good things to say about feedback. Uh, Kind of like what, what I had just mentioned earlier, but uh, more of it and from different perspectives. I uh, uh, wanted to actually plug Eric Aleph's series. Uh, he's, he's just very, very early into it, but I think everyone should give this a read. It's about scaling feedback based on who you're giving the feedback to, based on where they are. And what's, what's going to be useful to them and what's not. And he's actually going through like a, a, a nine-part grid of like, here's an L1 that's just starting out. Here's an L1 with some experience. Here's an L1 who's got a lot of experience and, and is interested in in pursuing L2. And those are three different people. And they have three different uh, approaches and scales for their feedback that you should give. So and so if you give them... Don't hook hmm? the L1 up to the fire hose. <laughs> Unless you're Michael uh, Michael Richards, is that right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope I got the actor's name right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that series in particular uh, just started out and is, is going places. is very, very interesting. Uh, that's all I've got to plug. I'll stop talking now.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Jacob, for, for joining us on episode
2: 168 on... For having
0: Yes, uh, please, uh, listeners, subscribe to us, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever fine podcasts are sold. Um, uh, please rate us five stars on iTunes, uh, so that way we know that you love us and, and, uh, and it plays into our egos. You can contact us at judgecast at gmail.com. You can Facebook us at facebook.com slash judgecast, uh, twitter.com slash judgecast, and you can check out our archive at judgecast.com. My name is Brian Perlman.
2: I keep it fair.
1: I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun.
2: <laughs> and, and I'm Jacob Malicci. and I keep it difficult to pronounce?
0: <laughs>
2: yes! You, you can always count on me to speak a lot. Uh, whether or not those words have meaning I think is up for deter- uh, deliberation, but well, this might be the medium for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just that whole package Just if you like talking a lot And sometimes what? it has content Consider podcasting Wow
0: <laughs> That's the whole like Face made for radio compliment Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs>